This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Last week, I went into a physician's office for the first time since the pandemic began. Everyone was wearing a mask, including me, and the receptionist checked my temperature when I walked in, but otherwise, the visit was very similar to those I've had in the past, which was both comforting and disconcerting. On one hand, I didn't have to adjust to a completely different experience than I was used to, but on the other, it was hard to know what my provider was doing to ensure my safety. Welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. Today on the podcast, we're going into the waiting room to discuss how healthcare organizations are safely welcoming back patients for non-emergent visits. Later, I'll be talking with our community manager, Melanie Binder, about how you can use HFMA's community to enhance your experience at our upcoming digital annual conference. All that's coming up after we check in with Rich and Chad. Are there big changes coming to the Affordable Care Act? Democrats have a plan for that. That and more in today's episode of Beyond the News. Hello, this is Rich Daly, senior writer and editor for HFMA. Hi, I'm Chad Mulvaney, a policy director with HFMA. Thanks for joining us once again on the Beyond the News segment of the podcast, where we take a quick look at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. So today we're going to preview a coming plan by Democrats. Actually, I should say we're going to preview what may or may not be in this plan. Some key issues and key uh, areas of focus that Democrats have had on ways to improve the Affordable Care Act to bolster various problems uh, or address various shortcomings. And that may be included in this plan that is scheduled to come out next week. Uh, Whether they are not all of these things that Chad and I discuss end up in that plan, they very well may be added in future legislation. So, Chad, what would you highlight as the leading candidates, uh, whether they're in next week's plan or brought up uh, afterward as ways to bolster the the ACA from the Democratic perspective? You know, Rich, I think, you know, it's probably a combination of tweaks to the exchanges uh, and also tweaks to Medicaid. Maybe we could take those in turn. You know, I think for the exchanges, a couple of places to look, as we were talking before this, is maybe to look at what California has already done. So you could think about maybe expanding the subsidies, so increasing not only the subs- what, what families are able to qualify for up to 400% of the federal poverty level, but maybe even taking the cap off of that and pushing that upward somewhat. Uh, you could think about increasing or mandating additional federal funds for outreach and enrollment. Uh, you could also think about maybe putting back in the the individual mandate, although I think that given that this is an election year and the individual mandate is quite contentious, I think that would be a, a, a bridge too far maybe. And so that's really some of the things that I could see happening around the, the, the exchanges or the individual market. And, you know, Rich, when we were talking before, you had been just reading up on what happened in California after these things happened. Maybe you could share a little bit about that because I'd be interested in hearing. Definitely. So during the 2020 open enrollment for coverage, I should say, during the 2020 year, 
California instituted uh, three major changes to uh, bolster their state-run marketplace for individual coverage. First was they reinstituted a mandate with a commensurate tax penalty for not obtaining qualifying health insurance. Secondly, they also added several hundred million dollars in additional subsidies to uh, improve the affordability of plans for middle-class residents of the state. And thirdly, they've also added more outreach and extended the enrollment period to actually last longer than it had previously. It lasted all the way to the end of January. And that enrollment period was uh, nearly twice as long as the federal enrollment period. The effect uh, overall of that extension was to add a large number of uh, first-time enrollees. However, because uh, a large number of previous enrollees also dropped out, the net increase was a somewhat disappointing about 30,000 um, new uh, or, or net enrollee increase for the year, which was actually in line with sort of ups and downs of previous years. So as far as how those kind of tweaks may affect a, a nationwide marketplace enrollment, um, that didn't bode well. But obviously, there are other ways to also get to improved coverage, Chad, right? Yeah, no, there are. And just to kind of put a fine point on that, so the, the, the total California enrollment for 2020 in the exchanges was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1.5 million. So as you say, Rich, it was kind of a Maybe, maybe a little more than a rounding error, but certainly not with all of those efforts, which you would have hoped to see. You know, I think to your point, though, where we may see more traction in terms of expanding coverage would be in, and it would be more state specific, would be adding sort of pot sweeteners, if you will, for states that have not yet expanded Medicaid. So offering kind of the same deal that other states that were early adopters of this got. So sort of the if you sort of were were to adopt it today, you would start you would start at, you know, the feds covering 100 percent. And then there's that titration down over time so that you wouldn't be penalized for having been a a laggard or a late adopter of the Medicaid expansion. So I think that's the, the one big piece from Medicaid that I would look for out of that. And then maybe obviously you might see some some federal sort of support for, or maybe taking flexibility away from states for looking at the retroactive eligibility period and things that we've seen the administ- this administration retroactively change that have sort of reduced enrollment or at least the, the time frame that's covered by enrollment. So uh, the uh, next question obviously would be to say, uh, great, this uh, legislation is introduced. It's got any, uh, some or all of these provisions. What's the uh, what's the outlook uh, this year for for that kind of bill? Uh, it passes in the House. It will not see daylight in the Senate. Would be my guess. Um, obviously, with a with a Democratic majority in the House, they will likely push this bill forward, advance this bill, and pass it as a messaging bill, sort of as a hey, this is a preview of some of our healthcare policies, at least as it regard as it relates to coverage. If you know the Senate were to flip and the White House were to flip. Uh, my guess is Senator McConnell, Majority Leader McConnell in the Senate won't even won't pick this bill up because it's a little contrary into sort of Republican policy as to how they believe coverage expansion expansion should occur. And uh, I guess just one other thing to double check along these lines. Any chance you think we'll see a President Trump ACA replacement plan before the election? I would be highly doubtful if you think about it. Um, all of the principals who would be working on this have been subsumed by the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, so that's one. Two, given 
just the impact on uh, midterm elections of the administration and, Cong- and the Republican Congress's last efforts to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. You know, Rich, even even absent the, the pandemic, I, I think the odds of them trying to advance something are pretty low in terms of an ACA replacement bill. You know, based on the lessons learned or the experience in the in the midterm election after the repeal and replace efforts. And in fact, you know, they really by trying to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act are targeting a, a an influential but small portion of their base. And I think the administration can also sort of wink and nod and look at the Texas Attorney General and the other conservative states uh, challenge the Affordable Care Act in the Supreme Court and say, look, you know, even if we tried to advance something with Democrats holding the House, we'll never get anything moved. So really what we need is for the Supreme Court to void the law. So therefore, then we compel everybody to the negotiating table to come up with a better alternative, or at least their version of a better alternative. Gotcha. Well, I guess that's uh, another one we'll have to wait and see on, but we'll uh, definitely keep everyone else uh, informed and up to date as this uh, moves along. So thanks a lot for the insights and uh, joining us today on the on the podcast, Chad. Rich, always good to be here. Always good to talk shop. Of course, you can also keep up with the latest legal policy and practice developments related to healthcare finance by checking out our news page at hfma.org forward slash news. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, turn to HFMA's online job bank. Search open positions, create a profile, and make your resume available to companies seeking qualified candidates. Start your search now at hfma.org slash job bank. Over the last few weeks, I've been seeing an airline advertising the measures they've put in place to keep passengers and crews safe from the coronavirus. One of those measures is keeping middle seats open. And as a reluctant traveler in the best of circumstances, I can't help thinking that would make for a more pleasant flight even after the pandemic is over. It's unlikely any airline would permanently do away with a third of their seating, but I think this pandemic has given the healthcare industry some opportunities to improve the consumer experience long term. Recently, I talked with Dr. Tim Hendricks, Medical Director for Advent Health Centricare, the urgent care arm of the Advent Health System based in Central Florida. He told me how his organization is making patients feel comfortable while adhering to strict safety guidelines and what changes patients are happy to see because it simply provides a better experience. I work in these environments. My teams work in these environments and we're keeping our offices and these are our homes, you know, for 12 hour shifts a day. We, we want to keep you know, our, our environment safe and we also want to keep them safe for our, our patients. So how do you maintain a safe work environment, not only in a medical practice and urgent care, but as businesses reopen? So what we've done at Advent Health, what I've been involved with is Number one, creating a work environment for our uh, employees to keep them safe, but also to reassure our patients that it's safe to come to see the doctor, it's safe to come to urgent care, that you may think that these are locations where COVID-19 patients will be seen at. Yes, they are, but 
we have mechanisms in place that are consistent with CDC standards, World Health Organization standards to make sure that um, you're not going to be at risk of getting a COVID-19 infection by visiting the doctor. And all doctors' offices, in our system at least, have adopted those practices that maintain safety for the, uh, our visitors, for our patients, but also our employees. We have also taken those same standards and tried to get out to our business community and share that information. Here's how you're going to reduce transmission. This isn't about going and buying fancy UV sterilizers for your business. It's all about the basics. And so, for instance, in our offices, we have them stop at the front door. I walked into five different urgent cares this morning, uh, doing my rounds, visiting with the teams, and I felt totally comfortable walking through the front door. We check the temperature of patients as they come into the building um, to identify those people that might have a fever and we may need to direct immediately back into a room. We're actually de-emphasizing the lobby and trying to get people immediately back into an exam room. Previously during the pandemic, during the pleasant months of winter in Florida, it was okay to ask a patient to wait in their car instead of a lobby. That's not practical anymore, so we've had to reformat our process where if a patient presents to the front door, we get their information, we try to get them back into a room, an exam room, as quickly as possible, so the exam room becomes your waiting area, and try to get them in and out as quickly as possible, but keeping patients separate. If we do have to overflow into the lobby, of course, we've got the six feet of separation. We've got the marks on the chairs that pleasantly say, please, you know, don't sit in this chair. Um, This chair, you know, space people out in the lobby and keeping an eye on that. Do you think some of these things will will last um, when when everything is said and done? I mean, I imagine patients would would like going straight into an exam room or not having to sit there with a clipboard and fill out papers and just, you know, uh, register online or over the phone or however they're going to do it. Do you see that kind of do you see this pushing us kind of into the future? We fast tracked into the future on this one, in my opinion. Let me give you an example. As part of our urgent care, we also have a telehealth. So you can go online, Advent Health, and download our app and request a visit with a provider, physician, nurse practitioner, do a, a visit over the application. I, you know, I've been part of that process since the beginning. It's been very slow adoption by members of the community using the telehealth. You, you probably know better than I do. Everybody's talking about telehealth and how wonderful it is. You don't have to go to the doctor. You can get your prescriptions over a video visit. So this has pushed the community over into, you know, advocates for telehealth, but also physicians that were hesitant now realize that this does have a place. So it's not going to go away. And I don't think patients are going to allow us to let it go away when we, when we come out of this on the other side. They're going to want to have their telehealth visits because I can tell you historically the patients I've seen on telehealth they love it. They're like, this is so easy. So my prescription is at the pharmacy, and I'm talking to them on the video chat. I'm like, yeah, it's ready for you right now. Go on down, pick it up. And they're like, this is great. I wish I'd known this before. And I'm like, well, we've had it in place for three years. But now they're very big advocates for telehealth. And uh, things like that, we're starting to utilize. Patients are utilizing it. There's better access now to healthcare. I think, moving into the future for all members of our society. Plus, how we conduct business in our offices to reduce the transmission of infections. You know, the risk of uh, transmitting infections in a doctor's lobby was very low 
uh, previously. But with COVID now, we've had to change our practices as such to, you know, no longer having people wait in the lobby, but getting them to the exam room, separating them off, identifying who's sick, using the contactless registration, putting them in masks, and all the things that were important before are going to persist into the future. Hi, I'm Joe Pfeiffer, President and CEO of HFMA. Without question, we're living in uncertain times during this COVID-19 pandemic, and the amount of information online and in your inbox must be pretty overwhelming. HFMA is helping its members make sense of it all. We've set up a special page on our website to provide members with a consolidated view of COVID-19 news coverage and its effect on healthcare finance. Visit hfma.org, click Topics, then coronavirus. We also invite you to share your thoughts and concerns with other members in HFMA's community. Although many of us are practicing social distancing, we can lean on each other during this challenging time. This is a time to band together, and the entire HFMA staff is here to support you. In addition, I and the CEOs of ACHE, AMGA, MGMA, AAPL, and NAHQ have collaborated to sync up our resources. We're providing you the best resources we have available right now, collectively, to help you manage the evolving nature of COVID-19. We encourage you to visit the sites, and there'll be links on each other's sites on our websites, and use the information free of charge. We will be updating resources as we learn more. By working together, we will be better armed to advance the health and fulfill the missions that founded our great organizations. We're here for you. Let me end by thanking you for all that you do for your organization, for HFMA, and the healthcare industry at large. Thank you. Our first ever digital annual conference begins a week from today, and if you haven't registered yet, you should. Our team has put together a robust agenda of opportunities to learn from industry experts and interact with peers. One of those opportunities for interaction is in HFMA's community. So today I've invited our community manager, Melanie Binder, to talk about how you can use the community to enhance your digital annual conference experience. Welcome, Melanie. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Melanie, the community has been really active lately, and with our annual conference happening completely online this year, is it's going to be a really great place for members to go and meet and discuss the things they're learning about during their sessions. Can you talk a little bit about what they can expect in the community? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're going to have and what we're going to hope to have is a list of resources uh, that might be shared during the sessions. Uh, those will be posted in the community after the event. Uh, so just in case if a member was not able to attend a live event or if they didn't capture those resources, uh, they'll still be able to access that post-event. They'll be able to access the recordings in case they weren't able to listen to the full recording and weren't able to listen to it at that time during the live event. Uh, we're also going to have follow-up questions being asked by our members and hopefully answered by some of our speakers and other attendees as well. It's going to give us the opportunity to elaborate on some of those important topics that might come up during the session. So we're hoping it's going to be a great place to find additional resources and also give members who participated in the discussion and who didn't get a chance to initially participate in the discussion to have some great follow-up conversations. 
We have a group called HSMA Annual Conference Network. Um, what our members can do is when they're on our website, hfma.org, they log into the website. You can go to the community that's in the top menu. Once you're on the community homepage, if you go to all groups that's in the top navigation bar, you'll find the list of all of our um, open groups to join, which one of them is the HFMA Annual Conference. Once you're there on the annual conference page, you can join the group and then that way participate in any of our ongoing discussions. I would locate some session information. And if you have any questions related to any of the sessions, either before the session or after the session, you can go ahead and start your own discussions as well. If you haven't registered for our digital annual conference yet and you would like to attend, it kicks off on June 24th and 26th. We also have dates in July and August. So please visit hfma.org. You can learn all about the sessions and register there. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Don't forget to register for our digital annual conference, especially if you're a member because it's included in your HFMA membership. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, share an episode with a friend or colleague. If you have any questions or ideas about what you'd like to hear on the podcast, you can reach out to our team at podcast at hfma.org. Okay, here we go. Stop.